Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hello and welcome back to We Made a Beer. My name's Louise. Mine's Lucy. And this is We Made a Beer, the podcast in which we, two beer novices, find out about beer by brewing it, drinking it, and chatting to the experts about it. This week, we wanted to explore the process of collaborative brewing, which seems to be a really inherent and endlessly creative part of modern brewing culture. Essentially, a collaboration brew is any beer made with the involvement of more than one party. So, in a way, every beer we've brewed on this series has been a collaboration. We've been getting loads of help and advice from the folks at Ubrew, Tash in particular, who's been our brewing mentor. We've also been lucky in that, essentially, whatever we ask for, Tash somehow makes possible. In the real world, though, we figure collaborative brewing can't always work like that. Compromises have to be made, and we wanted to explore who brings what to the party during the brew. In this episode, we attempt our first ever collaborative brew with an amazing brewery using really unique ingredients. So, shall we taste some of this lovely honey? What arrived in the brewery this morning is what I can only describe as a um, fuckton of honey, to use the, the metric. A metric <laughs> Richard Beerhouse from Magic Rock tells us why collaboration brews are so important to them. I suppose it's a nice way of sharing uh, knowledge, you know, and, and different techniques and things like that. And it's great to work with people that we admire or, you know, people who've inspired us in the past. And we chat about honey, beers and bees with Hannah Rhodes, founder of Hiver Beers. There's a really nice fact that bees forage in a three mile radius to the beehive. So we spend quite a bit of time taste testing batches of honey, comparing them from one season to the next and talking to our beekeepers about the forage source of the honey. We've been making this series alongside the lovely folks at Ubrew London, an open brewery where you brew the beer. Last week, we tried our hand at brewing a cask ale. After an initial unsuccessful brew, here's how our second attempt went down. So just to describe this, I think this looks like very dirty water. Yeah, it looks muddy. I think I actually just like this one a little bit more than the last one. Second time unlucky. <laughs> Why can't we do this? What's gone wrong? I think we just got to give credit to the people who brew good casks, because it's not easy, is it? So our first fully failed beer. We're still really glad we gave it a go, though, and we'll keep trying to crack it. This week, we want to explore the process of collaborative brewing. And what better way to do that than have a go at collaborating with another brewery? The process of choosing who to approach was obviously a tough one. So we involved our brewing guru, or brewroo, Tash, in the decision-making process. It turns out that Tash has been dead keen to brew a beer with honey for a while now, but finding the quantities of honey needed for a brew has been a problem. It just so happens that we know of a brewery who've built their whole business around honey. And as luck would have it, they're just round the corner from Ubrew. Hiver Beers collaborates on every single beer they make, not with other brewers, but with thousands and thousands of bees. We invited founder Hannah Rhodes to Ubrew to join us for a brew. It turns out that she's been thinking of brewing a honey gozer for a while now, so we brought her in to meet Tash for a taste session. We brought beers, Hannah brought honey, and here's what happened. <laughs> So 
So today we're going to brew a Goza. It's also our first collaboration, which is really exciting. Hello, Hannah. Welcome to the table. Hello. Thanks for having me. So first of all, let's establish what is a Goza. So Goza is a um, sour style of beer, lactobacillus bacteria, um, and then also coriander and salt. Cool. So Lucy went to the shop and got us what was described as the most traditional Goza available. Uh, and also, before we demonstrate our complete lack of German language skills, could you read this lovely label for us? Gasthaus and Goza Brauerei, Bayerischer Bahnhof, Leipzig, Germany. I hope our German listening contingent like skyrockets after this. <laughs> Smells really like aromatic and floral. Is that the coriander in there? Yeah, I can smell the coriander seed right on the nose. The sourness is actually really light, so it's just um, a really light tang along kind of the edges of your tongue. Really, it's nothing, uh, nothing kind of too crazy or yeah. too sour. It's it nicely is. balanced. Mm-hmm. From a brewery perspective, is this like a really clever idea? Because salt's going to make you thirstier, and you're just going to waft loads <laughs> more down. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I suppose so. So would they actually be adding salt to this beer then, or is it just rather the character that's kind of coming through? So nowadays, most ghosts have salt added. Um, the style originated because of quite saline water. So it was, it was brewed in areas where the water was salty by nature. Um, so this was before we would treat water. Brewers would brew with what they had, and what ghost brewers had was salty water. So shall we compare this to the Magic Rock Salty Kiss? So Salty Kiss is like a modern take on the Goza. <laughs> Yeah, it's the first Goza we ever had, I think, the Magic Rock Salty Kiss, and it's kind of gooseberry-flavoured. I, I think the Salty Kiss is the first Goza that, that most people in the UK have had, and, and often the only one. Uh, it's not a style that's particularly common. It's becoming more and more common. It's one of those beers that appeals to people who don't necessarily like hoppy IPAs or dark beers. In terms of like comparing this to um, your old traditional here, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts? I'm getting more salt, actually, on the end, um, and it's a little bit more tart, so the, the traditional was a, a bit more kind of refined, a bit more toned back on the sourness, I think just as a product of sours becoming popular, breweries are kind of upping that, and so yeah, I do get, I get more, more acidity, um, a little bit more salt. Um, gooseberries aren't coming through hugely. How do you feel this is um, in comparison to the first one? I think I preferred the actual taste of the, the traditional beer. Um, maybe it's a bit more of a traditional beer taste, I guess, is the, is the thing. But then I quite like the amount of salt on that gooseberry mm. one as well. Uh, I, I do think the, the, the German is um, probably, you know, that does set the standard. Mm. Um, I do kind of think Magic Rock can do no wrong, but um, mm-hmm. they're both great. Cool. Shall we taste some of this lovely honey? What arrived in the brewery this morning is what I can only describe as a um, fuckton of honey, to use the, the metric. <laughs> the metric fuckton. So, yeah, let's have a go on this honey. Why did you choose this honey in particular? Uh, well, it's pretty local to us, so it's um, it's from Kennington Park, so southeast London. So, we're in more or less the same postcode, being in Bermondsey. It's not overly powerful on the nose so I guess for a beer where we've already got quite a lot going on in terms of salt coriander and this should hopefully add a nice silky character give some kind of residual flavor help with fermentation um, but not be dominant in terms of nose or flavor profile so we uh, we've got lovely raw kind of honey to play with but it's not going to overpower everything else that's going on Mm -hmm. brilliant bloody delicious really isn't it <laughs> um, it's, it's beautiful so in terms of our goza talk us through what what the sort of the base recipe would be cool so uh, we're mixing it up in a few ways today along with hiver's policies around malt and ingredients we're doing all british ingredients today so that's mixing up a little bit considering that it is a european style so we're going to use a british ale malt rather than a lager malt pretty similar we're going to get a little bit more color a little bit more kind of malty ester flavor from the ale 
cow malt. We're going to use some wheat malt, which is traditional. And then the, the biggest switch up is that we're also going to use some London honey as one of our fermentable sugars. What we also need to be really careful about is because we're going to be introducing some lactobacillus bacteria for some tartness. Um, we want our IBUs, our international bittering units, how bitter the beer is, to be really low. Anything higher than about five or six, we risk killing the lactobacillus and not getting any tartness out of it. So um, we're going to be doing one hop addition at 60 minutes at the start of our boil. It's going to be a little bit of bitterness just to balance any residual sweetness. Apart from that, we're not going to do any more hopping. Mm-hmm. Cool. And at what point do we put the honey in um, and why? So the honey is going to go in um, during our boil, partially so that we can combine it with, with our wort. Um, so it's going to be hot. It's going to dissolve. It's also going to um, pasteurize it. It's going to, going to clean it. So any kind of bacteria or, or anything hiding in the honey will be, uh, will be boiled off. Um, and we're going to add it um, shortly before the end, um, before we start cooling it into our fermenter. We don't want to boil too much of it off. So yeah, that back end of the, of the boil, just as it starts to cool, will be, should be perfect for this. Just as it's on its way into the fermenter. So, so that way it will still be above kind of 65, 70 degrees in order to pasteurize it, but it won't, yeah, it won't have been boiling continuously to, to boil that, that lovely flavour out. Cool. So when I was uh, doing a bit of research, I realised that there was, it's basically all about the S's. So we've got salt, sour, sweet and silky going on. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if we can kind of come up with a cool name that's um, something oh about God. four S's. <laughs> 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 we'll leave the names to, uh, to post-brew, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, until we've had like four more beers. That's yeah. where the brilliance <laughs> happens, yeah. <laughs> right, guys, should we crack on? Yeah, brilliant, let's do it. Super. <laughs> Big thanks to Hannah for agreeing to collaborate with us and YouBrew on this beer. We're super excited to be brewing a Goza and to be working with such a great ingredient. After our brew, we thought it was only polite to go and meet the bees who'd provided our honey. So we booked onto the Hiver experience over at Bee Urban in Kennington Park. It was an incredibly interesting day. We got to hold some bees, which is something that I literally never thought I'd do, and none of us were stung, which is pretty impressive, really. It turns out that the bees' foraging radius extends to our garden in Brixton, so it's possible that this collaboration started way earlier than we first thought. We'll be hearing a little bit more from Hannah later on in the episode. If you're a home brewer and keen to learn, you can check out our Honey Goza recipe at wemadeabeer.co.uk. Keep listening to hear how it turned out. Last year, after season one wrapped up, we were invited by the lovely folks at Beavertown Brewery to something called the International Rainbow Project. This is an annual beer festival built entirely around the concept of collaboration brewing. Each year it pairs seven great UK breweries with seven of the best breweries from a chosen country or region abroad. Each pairing is randomly drawn a colour of the rainbow, which is used to in some way inspire a collaborative brew. One of the breweries that's been involved in the rainbow project from the offset is Magic Rock. And they also brewed up that lovely salty kiss goza that we tasted at the beginning of this episode, which, it just so happens, was originally the product of a collaboration. All in all, they fit this theme so well, we absolutely had to talk to them. So we headed to Huddersfield to chat to founder Richard Burhouse. As luck would have it, they'd actually been doing a collaboration brew on the day we arrived. We started by asking him how it went. We've had uh, some friends from Padua in Italy, Crack Brewing they're called. Our uh, Italian importer is just up the road from them. So we, we got to meet them and have got friendly, seen them at one or two festivals. Yeah, we'd been and brewed with them already and we went to their festival last year, so we thought we'd, we'd have them over to reciprocate. Um, and how did the brew go? What did you brew? 
It's a session IPA, but we're using a new uh, hop product, which is essentially a sort of refined powder version of the pelletized hops, which is called Cryo Hops Lupulin Powder. It sounds a bit like a Marvel superhero. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Yeah, it's got a bit of a bit of a strange sort of technical name but the beer we're brewing is is using all that form of hops which is quite a new thing usually we'd use some whole leaf hops some uh, extract and then we would use pelletized hops for the dry hop to give it lots of aroma and flavor but this one is going to be exclusively with this new powdered product so should be interesting you guys are kind of renowned for doing collaborations so some of the people we've spoken to have said i wouldn't do a collaboration because of various different reasons but you guys are all over it is there a particular reason that you're more inclined to collaborate I suppose it's a nice way of sharing uh, knowledge you know and, and different techniques and things like that and it's great to work with people that we admire or you know people who've inspired us in the past there's a lot of collaboration going on throughout the industry uh, I'm not sure we're doing particularly more than anyone else but as perhaps uh, the volume of production we're at now they, they perhaps get a bit further afield when we do them so it, it appears we're doing a lot of them <laughs> So the first beer I think we tasted by you guys was Salty Kiss. And that's the result of a collaboration? Yeah, it was a collaboration initially. We were asked by Alex Barlow, who, uh, who runs uh, Sentinel Brewing in Sheffield now. He was uh, more of a consultant back then. He asked us if we'd like to do a brew with his friend Anders Kissmeyer from Denmark. And at the time we had an Italian brewer with us called Jada, and it was her idea to do a Goza, which was pretty unusual back then. It was 2013, I think, so there weren't many of them about. But it was a big success for us, really. As, as I'm sure you noticed, it's quite an unusual style. You know, if you've never come across that style of beer before, it's quite unusual. But, you know, it's had an amazingly broad appeal, really, with lots of different people, and it's, it is really popular with... Um, it's really popular with women and people who wouldn't traditionally perhaps like beer. You give them that and they're like, wow, what's this? So. I really like it. So does Lucy. Yeah. I rolled it out to my mum last year as well. She loved it. Yeah. My, my, uh, my mother-in-law's a big fan as well. Yeah, yeah. she loved it. It's, um, yeah, so it's a bit of a people pleaser. But so because it is such a unique style, did you approach it with the attitude of this would be a great learning experience? Didn't ever expect it to sell as well as it did. Like, At what point did you think this is going to be part of our core range? credit to Jada really it was her idea she looked at the recipe and was a little bit afraid of doing it in the traditional way which would be like a lactic fermentation which is a bit more difficult to control as far as how sour it gets and how you know the flavors that you get so she used pre-soured malt with it it was it was a bit of a leap of faith she changed the recipe slightly we also added sea buckthorn which is like an orange berry grows near the sea and uh, gooseberry and that helped with the astringency and, and sourness and I, th I think initially it was a sort of mixed reception and then and we made another batch and it just seemed it seemed to um get a little bit of steam behind it and people who weren't afraid to try new styles and things were giving us good feedback but at the big turning point for the beer came when we entered it for world beer cup 2014 and it won a gold for that very unexpectedly i was there with jada and we were we were like blown away you know that it won and i think after that you know the decision to sort of put it into full-scale production was made for us really so do you think the success of that kind of influences how you are now when it comes to being invited to do collaboration brews I don't really think about that, but that is the sort of that is the ideal scenario that you create something really interesting that changes people's perception or adds something 
a little bit new to what's going on because most most beer styles are all um, variations on a theme and that beer was as well to be honest you know there's not a lot that's massively new they're all other people's ideas twisted to your sort of uh, way of thinking or, or your way of experimenting but I, I guess it's at the back of the mind we, we did another one with Arizona Wilderness last year and picked up a medal at World Beer Cup for that as well which was sort of lightning striking twice in the same place I thought completely different beer but maybe yeah maybe it's the experimental nature of things went in our favour again with that yeah so how do you choose who to collaborate with it depends who asks in a way there has to be some sort of symbiosis like a feeling of mutual respect or you know yeah friend a long-standing friendship and that's the, those are the rules really but we we decide ourselves when people ask I suppose I guess it's got to be quite a lot of trust with the people you choose as well because everyone's got to pull their own weight and bring their own sort of stuff to the table as well exactly you know we don't want beer putting out into the marketplace that isn't good or it shouldn't be cynical it shouldn't be about just adding our name to something to achieve something it should it should be about a genuine desire to create something interesting you know mm. so a lot of the collaborations and ideas come out of getting together and having beers together really so it, it's we try to make it as organic as possible and not forced so yeah. in that way it sort of makes sense really if it feels right we do it one of the reasons we thought you'd be a really good um, brewery to talk to for this episode is because we went to Rainbow Project and had a great time, and you guys are a pinnacle part of that. So do you want to just talk about how that came about? Yeah, that was um, the idea of uh, the ex-head brewer of Siren Brewing, Ryan Witter. It was an idea really to help British breweries collaborate with, with people he was uh, friendly with from America and around the world because he's a, a super sort of connected brewer the first year we just made seven beers I think and the second year we then paired it with American breweries and then we'd done European and, and um, Kiwi ones so there was an element of of trust that the people that Ryan and we'd all chosen would be sort of good brewers and, and they sort of had a bit of a leap of faith getting involved as well because it was picked out of a hat the pairings were and then you discussed the style of beer you wanted to make with with the, the brewery you got picked with and, and friendships were formed and stuff and it was a really it was a really nice idea you know that was um it was great for us. I'm not sure every every beer we made has been a complete success, to be honest, which I suppose is down to the very uh, creative nature of that project. But we, we had some good ones. Last year's was a good one, I thought. But what sort of attracted you to say yes to that? Because you've got to invest a lot of time and also a lot of equipment and a lot of man hours into making all these beers that may or may not turn out the way you want them to. I think that project particularly was about showing what Britain could do you know where the state of craft brewing was in Britain at that time or is in Britain at that time you're completely right it's been a bit of a a pain as well to be honest and it's not easy getting uh, 14 brewers to sort of talk with each other and sort things out when everyone is, is already very busy and the breweries we picked by their nature were very popular we discussed it at length whether we wanted to do another year or not another year and I think it was it's sort of Ryan's uh, legacy really it was for the years he'd spent at brewing at Siren um, it's sort of coming to an end now that I think we've we're doing this year and then and then we've got next year and that'll be it so what projects are you excited about at the minute that aren't collaborations necessarily? We're on a sort of continual improvement as far as production equipment's concerned and we've got uh, dedicated yeast brinks coming which means we're going to be able to keep our own yeast strains. At the moment it, it gets very expensive if we want to do different types of beer outside of ones that use our house yeast but there's lots to sort of be excited about. 
One thing that I really like about here is you've really invested in the tap room because quite often when you go to a brewery you end up on like a little rickety bench in a corner with a portaloo outside and as like a punter that's not actually that nice so how important do you think it is to actually invest in in a tap room element of a brewery like this? I mean, I think it's really important. You know, we didn't have any retail space for the first four years of operation and we had lots of people wanting to visit us, wanting to buy beer. But when we moved to the new site, it was super important for me to have a space that represented what we were about. And that's about the quality in the beer and the quality I feel with the the marketing and the package. I wanted reflected in the space you came to drink it as well. You know, I think I can completely understand why at the beginning people are doing it in quite a more rudimentary way where you you know sat on kegs and cast but I think you know we're we're going to be six years old this year and as you move as you get a bit older I think we need more professionality to reflect the beer and what we're doing really so I'm really glad you like it you know we're super proud of what we've created and it's going down really well it is it's the community based tap room that we really wanted it gets used primarily by locals so it's yeah it's fantastic We had a great time at Magic Rock and we'd highly recommend a trip to Huddersfield to visit their brilliant tap room. A big shout out to Ben, who arranged the interview for us, showed us Huddersfield's beery delights, showered us with merch and pointed us towards a fantastic curry house. We woke up feeling pretty hazy in a travel lodge surrounded by naan bread the next morning. It's a shame to hear that the Rainbow Project might not be knocking around for much longer. If you'd like to find out more about this year's event, head to rainbow7project.com. That's rainbow, the number seven, project.com. After the break, we catch up with Hannah from Hiver Beers to learn a little bit more about their lovely beers and bees. We Made a Beer is brought to you by, well, just us, actually. It's produced, presented and funded by our good selves. This season, though, we're working alongside Honest Brew, our favourite online beer service, to make the beers we talk about in this show more accessible to you. We use Honest Brew to get brewery-fresh craft beer delivered directly to our door, so we've always got some tasty drinks chilling in the fridge. We've partnered with Honest Brew for a limited time to offer you a fantastic mix case. The We Made a Beer case contains 12 great beers that have been either brewed or recommended to us by Season 2's podcast guests, or that have just inspired this series. And if that wasn't enough of a treat, we can get you a whopping £10 off your first order using the coupon code WEMADEABEER. Use it to get the We Made A Beer case or to just expand your beer tasting horizons. To recap, go to honestbrew.co.uk, spend over £30 and use the code We Made A Beer at checkout for £10 off. Check out the episode description in your podcast player for the full T's and C's. Happy drinking! Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. Earlier in the programme, we introduced you to Hannah Rhodes, founder of Hiver Beers, when she kindly agreed to collaborate with us on a brew. We couldn't resist inviting her into the studio after the brew to learn some more bee-based facts. Hiver currently have two beers in their core range, a brown ale brewed with a blend of Warwickshire honey and a blonde beer brewed using urban London English blossom and heather honeys. We wanted to know what came first 
Beer or bees? It was beer. Uh, yeah, I started in the brewing industry maybe uh, just over 10 years ago now. How much have you learnt about bees since oh. you started? <laughs> An awful lot, yeah. <laughs> I sometimes wonder if I know more now about bees or beer. But, um, I mean, they're absolutely fascinating and I think you could probably spend a lifetime working with bees and still not know all of the facts. But no, wonderful creatures. Beekeepers and the beekeeping community are, are fascinating. And obviously from a brewing perspective, this lovely natural sugar that you're brewing and fermenting with that adds all this extra depth of flavour. Yeah, I love it. Absolutely love it. Did you have a hive in your garden and think, I am going to use my honey and my beer? Or did you collaborate with someone who was already doing honey? So I guess um, I was lucky enough to already have experience in the brewing industry. So while I'm not a technically trained brewer, I kind of knew enough and had experience of working with the brewing team to develop recipes. Then through a lovely project called Urban Food Fortnight, which is all about sustainable produce and uh, encourages restaurants to offer a menu for that fortnight just from ingredients from their own postcode. This was how I kind of found out about Urban Honey and then went on a course and started banging on to my friends and family all about the properties of raw honey and how cool the beekeeping community was. And at this point, a friend bought me a bottle of a honey beer, which was really cheap, really nasty, really sweet. And, uh, and kind of thought, you know what, I wouldn't mind reading up a little bit more about that style and, uh, and, and doing a bit of research. And that was how I then started to find out a bit more about honey beer as a style and became interested in, in the idea of trial brewing one. Cool. So it is quite a traditional style of, of brewing, is it? Yes. So in the 1400s, hops had not yet been introduced to brewing in the UK. So hops have aroma properties. So you might get citrus, pine, grassy notes, farmyard notes from your hops. Uh, you may just be using them to help with the shelf life of the beer. So it's a natural antiseptic. It may offer bitterness as well. Um, so if you think back in the 1400s, if you're not now using hops, uh, you've got something that's just quite sweet and quite malty and it was a really common thing to use your local honey to brew with and there's a nice kind of story about the father of the bride being responsible for brewing as much honey beer or fermenting as much mead which is like a honey wine for the lunar month after the wedding the bride and groom would kind of you know it was their job to get to know each other drink as much of it <laughs> as they possibly could and if she fell pregnant during that time uh, it was all thanks to this amazing honey beer that her dad had been <laughs> brewing but uh, as the story goes that period of time became known as the honeymoon period so So little stories like that for me I was like oh god it's so traditional and I guess from a brewing perspective this amazing natural uh, ingredient interested in beer interested in taste and flavor interested in um, kind of local produce there was the chance to kind of do something with all three Amazing. Um, so just um, in terms of how it's actually used in the, the brewing process, it's added, um, so you said it makes the alcohol a bit higher, so it's added uh, sort of early doors in the Yeah, the end. exactly. So the science of brewing is that yeast, each sugar, converts sugar to alcohol. As part of that process, it also gives us some carbon dioxide. And normally, the sugar base that we talk about in brewing is all from your cereal, so maybe malted barley or from wheat. So for us, we also use honey. And we don't put it in right at the very beginning. We wait until we add the yeast. So it's now a little bit of a cooler temperature, and that's when we add our honey. We use different varieties of honey as well from um, a network of UK independent beekeepers. So it's all raw honey. And our London honey's lovely and citrusy, and our heather honey's lovely, rich and earthy kind of nose on it. Um, and they add 
kind of different characters to, to the different beers that we brew. How hard is it to keep your actual beer consistent? I'm assuming different batches of honey maybe taste a little bit different and how much does that impart on the actual final flavour of the beer itself? Yeah, good question. So uh, there's a really nice fact that bees forage in a three mile radius to the beehive. You know, the bee goes off, collects nectar, brings that nectar back to the hive uh, and converts it to honey. So this is why our network is really important because there's loads of exciting things about beer but actually from a consumer point of view as much as people want taste and flavour and excitement they tend to want something that's consistent and that they know is going to taste the same each time they go back to it. So we spend quite a bit of time taste testing batches of honey, comparing them from one season to the next and talking to our beekeepers about the forage source of the honey. Um, So by now we're kind of seasoned at it, I think, (laughs) Um, but it was a bit nerve wracking at the beginning. So going forwards, do you want Hiver to be sort of like each little local community could have its own Hiver beer? I guess I probably had enough experience in the business world and with brands to recognise that to have a chance of paying the bills, you need to have a core product that you get to a certain level that then pays your bills. And we're just at that stage now where, yeah, starting to do a collaboration brew or two. Good for hay fever, they just crack over yeah. the sort of local <laughs> hiver. They just crack on through that. <laughs> awesome. So are there any styles of beer that just don't work with, with honey that you've um, experimented with before? Uh more that I guess once you start fermenting with honey and you're extracting that sugar and it gets converted to alcohol you're not always entirely sure what flavour you're going to be left with in the honey from the honey so when we launched the brown ale I was really set on the idea that we would be using like a, a Scottish heather or blossom honey in that beer but yeah two three trial brews later and it just still wasn't tasting okay and you're like no it should be the perfect match this lovely kind of fudge like honey and, and a brown ale it should be the perfect combo and ended up then using a a Midlands late season blossom honey that's got a bit of ivy forage in it which is a little bit darker a little bit richer got a little bit of bitterness to it and that worked perfectly Mm -hmm. so I think it's more about just finding which honeys work with which beer styles through a trial brew process but no I can't wait to get stuck into all kinds of beer styles I'm a really big fan of like amber lagers and red ales and who knows maybe one day we might even brew with a, a non-UK honey as well cool did you say you have two beers in your core range we do yeah um, how are they different does the honey impact the flavour really noticeably different or is it more about the base beer itself being different combination of both I think so the nose will be different and yeah the aftertaste will be different but what we found was um, honey is quite delicate so even if you're using an awful lot of it and even if when you open a jar you're like wow that's incredibly powerful once you've uh, brewed with it and you've added it to quite a volume of liquid and especially if you're adding quite a few hops the hops will quite quickly overpower the nose on, on the beer although the sweetness and the mouthfeel will still be there so the Yorkshire Heather honey is very pungent, very aromatic, and I would say all of the nose on the blonde beer really comes from that Yorkshire Heather honey, whereas we use a lovely kind of citrus London honey, and that tends to be a bit more on the on the aftertaste. Um, but normally it's a bit tricky to pick out the specific flavour profile. It's much more on the nose. But yeah, the Blossom honey's light, floral. Heather honey's in Scotland might be a bit more kind of fudgy or toffee-like elderflower, mint, honeysuckle, they're all kind of notes that you might pick up on on different honeys. With honey beer, because there are so few people brewing it or experts in it, we sort of felt like we're really learning um, for the first time, mm. uh, or at least kind of trying to unearth it and, and find partners that we can kind of uh, learn from. 
So there's a few people that listen to the podcast who uh, I think are experimenting with homebrewing. Some of them do it at, at Ubrew as well. Um, if they were to have a go with uh, mm. using honey, where would you recommend they get it from for, for a start, I suppose? Okay, so... The more stronger the flavour, the stronger the aroma, the better. And especially if you can find an aromatic one, brilliant. If you're using a raw honey, it will have these sort of wild spores and yeast in there. So you will need to kind of part cook it or gently gently boil it or part pasteurise it during the process. Um, you will need to play about with it over a couple of different brews and potentially if you can start to see, oh, okay, I've not quite got that right first time around, drink it quite quick. Um <laughs> And keep it nice and cold, obviously, while it's conditioning as well. But yeah, the London Beekeepers Association, the British Beekeepers Association, depending on where you are in the country, they can happily put you in touch with your local beekeeper. And inevitably, they may well even just drag you along to, to their hives and you might even be able to help them harvest it. So I'd really encourage you to go down that route. I really like the phrase, your local beekeeper. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> got one. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you, so... Um, you know, we always talk to our friends before we go off and record these series and tell them who we're interviewing. But um, Hiver always gets, I think, the most amount of attention. And um, why do you think that is? Why do you think people love it so much? Oh, thank you. Um, I think we're memorable maybe because we're a different beer style. So there's so many amazing beers out there. But if everybody's brewing an IPA and a pale ale, it gets a bit lost. So I guess we're a bit different. And I think it's really exciting to taste Hiver with people. We get some craft beer drinkers who are like, oh, wow, this is amazing. It's a really good interpretation of that style. And we've won some awards for the beers as well. And then maybe we have a foodie audience who can't wait to cook with it. Or, oh, yeah, we're going to do a cheese and charcuterie plate. Let's get a few bottles of the blonde and drink it alongside. So they're doing a bit of food matching at home. And then there are people that are completely new to beer. And I think I would maybe use the example of if somebody's new to beer, like feeding a kid an olive for the first time, they're unlikely to like it mm -hmm. in the way that if somebody somebody's new to beer, I would suggest please don't feed them a triple hopped IPA because it's really unlikely that they're going to like it. Uh, give them something that's a bit more balanced uh, and that doesn't need to be however it could be any number of beers out there but the more extreme the flavour profile the less likely somebody's palate is to, to be kind of uh, adapted to it or ready for it. And what's really nice is there are so many people try Hiver and say, oh, wow, I'm just not a beer drinker and I absolutely love that. And now, uh, now I get it. Now I get what is interesting about beer and they go off on their own journey of maybe gives them a bit of confidence to try some other styles and they know they've got something to come back to that they, that they enjoy. And, and also there are some people that really like the provenance and the ethos, I think. So we're all British suppliers uh, and, and ingredients. I also think you have a very good social media presence. Oh, <laughs> Lou was like, I love that Instagram. <laughs> yes, we're quite lucky. We've got some nice things to take photos yeah. of, namely bees. Yeah. <laughs> so there was a bit of a hoo-ha recently and I read that the bees were in a bit of bother, like there was a big bee disease. Mm. Um, do things like that play on your mind a little because you're so reliant upon the, the raw ingredient itself? So on day one, the promise was to support British beekeepers and that industry by donating a percentage of profit through purchase and a bit of awareness. So don't try and be preachy uh, about that industry or what's going on with bees. But, you know, we have the Hiver experience where you can come down, get hands-on, have a go at beekeeping. And, you know, we always say, please plant for bees. Our business cards are seeded paper. So we're not sort of trying to ram it down people's throats, but just gently does it around the edges. This is what we do for bees and this is what you can do for bees. Um, I just wanted to ask, because I've just started doing a little bit of gardening, how do you 
people um, plant for, for bees? Well, the uh, Royal Horticultural Society has a fantastic poster, which we regularly retweet and, um, and post on Facebook and Instagram. So it's not just about scattering wildflowers for the summer, because actually there's already a fair bit of forage about for them at that time. But actually between January and, and March and April, the, you know, it's quite cold. Uh, the bees are probably only coming out of semi-hibernation on days that are above 7 to 10 degrees. And they still need forage then, so there might not be as many of them in the hive and, and there might not be as much forage, but crocuses and um, those early bulbs that tend to come through are really important. And this year, we're about to start... Um, sort of putting the word out there we're going to have our first hive planting day in October so we thought we'd like to do a bit of a festival you know we'll kind of put the beer on for people if they come and um, we'll we'll pick an area with the local council and work with a couple of local beekeepers for people to come and do a planting session with us that sounds great nice I have to say whoever does PR for the bees has done really well because I feel like the bees have had a whole change of like um, character Oh, so yeah, everyone's very fond of a bee, aren't, aren't they? <laughs> we need to find like a good thing about wasps and then mm. change their sort of perception as well. Uh, yeah. well. I did some tastings for Hiver during the trial brews, and um, somebody sort of said to me, and it really stuck with me. Ah, oh, bees are like the cooler hipster version of wasps. <laughs> they really are. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's sort of people's attitude towards them as well. You just need to mention bee, and they're like, oh, I love bees. Just yeah. love them. <laughs> <laughs> Good grief, bees are incredible. Thanks very much to Hannah for those facts. We'll be dining out on them at picnics for years to come. At the beginning of this episode, we attempted our first collaboration brew. Taking into account Hiver's values of using all British ingredients, we brewed up a goza using all British malt. Then we hopped it with British hops, Malden sea salt and British coriander seeds. After the boil, we cooled it down slightly before adding loads of delicious raw Kennington honey. Here's how the final product turned out. <laughs> So we are in the Hiver, would you call this a beer garden? We can for the purposes of a podcast. I think so. It's like an urban beer garden, isn't it? Yeah. Lucy, would you do the honours? Please open. So basically we've bottled just a couple for um, the purposes of tasting. And then uh, if you like it, it will go on the taps that you brew in keg form, which is exciting. I'm very excited. I can't wait to see how it's all come together. As always, one bottle, four people. <laughs> oh, lovely colour. Yeah. I think that's the colour we were going for as well, yeah. eh? That's sort of, sort of bob on. Yeah, amazing. So, um, let's cheers to our cheers, first ever cheers. collaboration. Cheers, <laughs> cheers, cheers. Smells delish. Yeah. The honey aroma is just fantastic. Yeah. You really get the coriander on it as well, though, eh? Like, it's a really, yeah, it's really cool. nice combo. Lovely and fresh. I love how everyone's carried on sniffing, and I'm like... Mm. <laughs> I will. Straight into the tasting. The, the, the sourness is nice and subdued, but it's still there. That saltiness comes through at the end of the sourness. Yeah. The honey and everything is, yeah, the, that floral honey flavour is there the whole way through. I think you've nailed that there, Tash. It's amazing. Really <laughs> nice, yeah. You can definitely smell it, can't you? And it's like, um, obviously I don't know that much about honey, but to me it sort of smells like, um, like a, a really pure, like a flowery kind of honey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that really is the advantage of using raw, unpasteurised, local honeys if you can. I mean, there's some amazing taste and flavour available if you can reach a bit further. But yeah, that lovely, raw, earthy, pungent, uh, that that value comes from um, working with good good quality ingredients and on the honey side as well. And then in terms of the style, you'd never brewed a goza before. We'd never brewed a goza with honey before. Well, sorry, we. Tash had never brewed a goza with honey before. Um, are, you, are you happy with how it's turned out? Absolutely. I mean, gosh, that um, as you say, you've got... Uh 
this lovely sweet sour salt um, sort of combo going on which is ultimately very drinkable as well I think yeah. so you've got something that thirst quenching drinkable lots of taste and flavour but I think for a first go at a brew there's an amazing balance to that I'd be I'm delighted with it yeah so in terms of um, improving the beer what are you wanting to see more of or less of Good question. I think I need a few more sips to work that out. Actually, <laughs> I think I could um, I could taste more coriander. I think if I was if I was mm. brewing again, it's, it is you'd get it on the nose, but I'd, I'd like a little bit more um, in the mouth. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess the big question is: Would you be happy to have your Hiver name and Hiver brand attached to this? <laughs> and will you let us put it on the taps at Ubrew? Absolutely, I'd be thrilled. <laughs> Are you happy with it, Tash? Do you want your name attached to this, and do you want it on the taps at Ubrew? Absolutely, yeah, definitely. Lucy, are you happy with our contribution to this, which I have to say is quite minimal? And <laughs> um, would you be happy for it to be on the taps at Ubrew? Yes, I love it. I think it's really nice. I personally don't want it on the taps at Ubrew. I like a private party, just us guys. <laughs> yeah, I could just keep drinking. I think it's got such nice balance. It's not too sour. It's not crazy salty. It's just got this really nice honey, subtle saltiness to it. It's really nice. It was one thing I was worried about, actually, with, you know, all of the competing flavours, because they're all quite quite unique and, and um, quite interesting. I was a bit a bit worried about whether maybe one would overshadow the other or they wouldn't work together, but they're all dancing together really well. Like, they're just, yeah, they, they're very cohesive. I think we should be really proud of this. And we are really proud of it. Massive kudos to Tash and Hannah for perfectly balancing all those elements. We could imagine ourselves smashing through a lot of that beer. If you'd like to give our honey gozer a gozer, head over to Ubrew Bermondsey or the Hiver Tap Room, which is conveniently located just around the corner, and you'll find it on tap this coming weekend. While we're talking Ubrew, don't forget you can get 20% off brew courses with the code WMAB20, as in we made our beer. 20. Next week, we explore aged beers, and we have a go at brewing and ageing our own. We chat to Dougal Sharp, co-founder of Innocent Gun, about making oak-aged beer on a large scale. And we talk to Sophie van Raffelham about the tradition of ageing beer in Belgium. Before we go, here's another reminder that we've partnered up with honestbrew.co.uk to help you get your hands on some of the beers mentioned in this podcast. If you're boggled by the sheer amount of beers available to buy, the fantastic We Made a Beer case is a pretty good place to start. Plus, if you sign up using the offer code we made a beer or one word, you can get £10 off your first order. If you like the series, please do leave us a review and share us with your friends. Reviewing the series really helps us to build our reputation and our reach. As always, if you want to get in touch, drop us a message. We're at We Made a Beer on all the social channels. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>